Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Thank you for watching our show tonight. I am your host, Doris Hansen, and this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? Before we get started on our uh, show tonight, I want to remind everyone uh, who comes to our discussion groups that our next Life After Polygamy discussion group is June 4th. That's next Monday, June 4th from 6.30 until 8 p.m. Now, we do recommend that those who have come from either the Mormon uh, religion or polygamy group to, to be involved in some kind of a support group. It's very helpful to those who are struggling with different issues, and we encourage those from polygamy groups to come to our discussion group to meet others who have also experienced perhaps what you're going through or experiencing right now, or just to come and share your story or just come and listen. Uh, if you would like more information and details for this, you can call us or email us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com. That's June 4th, next Monday, from 6.30 until 8 p.m. We would also like you to note that on this show, we constantly focus on the person of Joseph Smith. If you haven't noticed that, I'm sure you will. Joseph Smith claimed that uh, many, many big things about himself. Mormons and polygamists claim big things about Joseph Smith. He has become bigger than life. Some have called him a god. He is revered. He is bowed down to. Hymns are sung to him, and he is idolized. It was Joseph Smith who commanded the people to practice plural marriage, and he threatened many of his own prospective plural brides with hell and damnation if they didn't comply with his proposals. The character of a man who seemingly holds that kind of power over people must be, or should at least be, investigated and tested to discover if all that he claims to be about himself is true. If you are hanging your eternity and your eternal life on the salvation by polygamy claims of Joseph Smith and other claims that he made, you not only have the right, but you have the obligation to find out, <coughs> excuse me, to find out everything about him that's possible to discover. You have the obligation to yourself, you have the obligation to your family, to your children, and to anyone and everyone else with whom <coughs> you may discuss the person and works of Joseph Smith. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> According to Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 5, verse 10, it says, in 1829, the Lord told Joseph Smith, this generation shall have my word through you. In Doctrine and Covenants 21, verses 1 through 3, when Joseph Smith organized the Mormon Church in 1830, he claimed that he received a revelation that God told him he would be called, and I quote, a seer, a prophet, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an elder of the church through the will of God the Father, end quote. Well, every so-called prophet in both the Mormon Church and every group that teaches and lives Mormon polygamy they all claim that they receive this same exclusive authority and that this passage in the Doctrine and Covenants describes the authority of their prophet from Joseph Smith up until today. 
they all teach you're blessed when you follow the living prophet when the decision is made your thinking has been done for you it was Joseph Smith who said he restored Christianity and the gospel and that the restored gospel was pa <clears throat> patterned after the original early Christian teachings well, the early Christian teachings gave strict instructions on how to choose a church leader. We thought that it would be informative tonight to share with you some of the guidelines from the Bible that a church needs to follow in selecting and appointing leadership in their churches. 1 Timothy 3.10 tells us that a leader in a Christian church must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against him, he can serve. <coughs> Christian leadership is always serving. It is never about being served. It is never about being bowed down to. Jesus himself modeled perfect servant leadership, even bowing down and washing the dirty, filthy feet of his own disciples. So let's see if Joseph Smith passes the test for leadership. 1 Timothy 1, 3-4 tells us that leaders in the church are not to teach false doctrine, nor are they to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Well, you know, genealogy is a huge part of Mormon doctrine, and Joseph Smith started the myth and taught the false doctrine that God was a man of flesh and bones as we are. Joseph Smith fails that test. 1 Timothy 3, 2-6 tells us that a church leader must be above reproach. He must be the husband of but one wife. He must be respectable, not violent, and not quarrelsome. Joseph Smith fails the test for leadership here as well. Joseph Smith was not above reproach. There were many legal and moral charges against him. Joseph Smith was violent, and he was quarrelsome, and he certainly was not the husband of only one wife. 1 Timothy 3, 7 through 8 tells us that a leader must have a good reputation with outsiders and he must be worthy of respect. Joseph Smith fails here too. His reputation with outsiders was horrible. They wanted to kill him. They threatened to castrate him. They tarred and feathered him, not because of any righteousness on his part, but because his reputation with outsiders was suspect. He seduced young girls and chased after married women to become his polygamous brides. There is no worthiness or respect in that behavior. 1 Timothy 4 verse 3 says, A church leader must not forbid people to abstain from certain foods. Well, what about the word of wisdom? Joseph Smith authored the Word of Wisdom, which forbids certain foods and drinks. He fails the test here, too. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus pronounced all foods as being clean. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us that a church leader must treat younger men as brothers, older men as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Joseph Smith failed the test. He married older women. He married mothers and their daughters. That's not purity and respect. He married the young girls. He didn't treat them as sisters with absolute purity. He coerced them into plural marriages, promising them eternal life in exchange for their purity. 1 Timothy 5.22 A church leader must not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And he must not share in the sins of others. He must keep himself pure. Titus 1, 6 through 8 tells us he must be blameless. In all these things, Joseph Smith 
was not blameless. Titus 3.9 tells us that a leader must avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels, another failed test. Joseph Smith was always involved in foolish controversies, arguments and quarrels, and genealogies are mentioned here again. God has forbidden endless working on endless genealogies, so why do you do it? Now, these are just some of the requirements for a leader in Jesus Christ's true church. We find that Joseph Smith failed every single one of these tests required for a church leader. Now, we urge our viewers, polygamous and Mormon alike, to turn your eyes and your hearts away from Joseph Smith, away from celestial marriage, away from blind obedience, and towards Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is worthy of honor and praise and glory. Only Jesus can forgive because it was He who died on the cross for all your sins. This Jesus, who is not Satan's spiritual brother, but creator of us all, He wants your heart and He wants to forgive you. So why don't you let Him? But forgiveness <clears throat> doesn't come from following Joseph Smith. It doesn't come from celestial marriage. Forgiveness is available, but it is not automatic. God wants to forgive you through Jesus Christ, but forgiveness isn't granted. It isn't purchased by good works or by obeying a prophet or by polygamy. Forgiveness is granted only by God himself, by trusting and embracing Jesus Christ alone, throwing away all other methods for eternal life and clinging to Jesus and to no one and to nothing else. Now, you know, there is a lot of rhetoric going around these days. <coughs> Excuse me, i got something in my throat here. There's a lot of <coughs> rhetoric going around these days about the living prophet, the man of flesh who is supposed to be God's mouthpiece. Now, it's not just the Mormons who claim that they have a living prophet. So do the polygamy groups. It's strange, however, that when their prophet commits some illegal, immoral activity, or if they're guilty of some false prophecy, then they'll backpedal a mile a minute claiming that these guys were just speaking as a man, not as a prophet. The thing is, they are always expressing their own thinking and their own opinions, so they are always only speaking as mere men. So why are you listening to them? Why is it that when they say something stupid or embarrassing, they're only speaking as mere men? But if they say something witty or logical or that has some moral value, then they're God's mouthpiece. The man that you call a prophet doesn't talk as a mere man just some of the time. He speaks simply as a man all of the time because that's all he is. He's a sinner, a fallen member of the human race, just like the rest of us are. The reality is they always speak as mere men. Whether it's the Mormon prophet or the polygamous prophet, not a single one or any of them can rightfully be the living prophet. Let me prove it to you. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Jesus said in that verse, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now here he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist ended the prophetic age all the prophets were until John. Now Jesus said this, and then he also warned us in Matthew 24, 11, that many false prophets 
will arise, will appear and deceive many. And in Matthew 24, 24, again, he said, false Christs and false uh, prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Now, he's telling us that these false prophets can wow everyone with their false prophecies all the while they are performing false miracles. Jesus warned us. Do we need a living prophet? Yes, we do. And God has provided one. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. After his suffering, talking about Jesus, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus has risen. Jesus is alive. Our living prophet is Jesus. No mere man gets to displace Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 tells us that he, Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and forever. Jesus Christ is alive, folks. No one gets to be a prophet except Jesus, the living one. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 tells us, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, when you look at this verse and you look at the original language, which is Greek, those words, this passage is saying that this is God's final word to man, and it's through his Son. If you look in the Greek, it is very clearly saying that God speaks no more except through his Son. That's the only way. Check it out. If you believe me, check it out anyway. If you don't believe me, check it out because you need to know that is exactly what this is teaching. Our final prophet, our final spokesperson and mouthpiece for God is the Son, Jesus Christ. Acts 3.22 says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Now, many people have taught that this uh, prophecy that Moses gave in Deuteronomy was uh, fulfilled by Joseph Smith, and that is not true. Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy. Certainly wasn't Joseph Smith. When John the Baptist came on the scene, the people remembered this prophecy of Moses, and they wondered if John the Baptist was the prophet that was to come. In fact, in John 1.21, they asked John the Baptist, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. They thought that he was the prophet that Moses had talked about, not realizing that it was Jesus who would be fulfilling that prophecy. And in John 1.45, it says that Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Clearly, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophet like Moses who was to come. And in Matthew 17, 5, while Jesus was still speaking, it says, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We are to listen to the living prophet, 
Jesus Christ. God says, listen to him. There is no other genuine prophet. There is no other living prophet that we are supposed to listen to. Hebrews 1 tells us that in these last days, God speaks to us through his son. His son is the word of God. Jesus warned false prophets would arise and deceive many people. He warned us and we see the fulfillment. There is no other living prophet but Jesus Christ only. And following anyone else will, not might, but will lead you astray. Turn and run to Jesus. And you know what? Jesus will never expect you to ruin your soul by practicing celestial marriage for eternal life. He wants you to give your heart to him alone and not give your heart and your soul to your church. In the Huffington Post on May 13th, there was an article about Sister wives, the Brown family, who openly practices polygamy because they think that it's God's plan for celestial glory. And I want to quote some of what that article says and then make some comments about it. And I quote, One of the most prominent displays of Mormonism is TLC's popular reality show, Sister Wives, in which an openly polygamist, fundamentalist Mormon family shares their life and faith with the world. Well, we're abiding by it because we believe the ancients used to, Cody Brown told the Huffington Post in a phone interview. I mean, all the cool guys in the Old Testament had more than one wife. It didn't make them righteous. They had to be righteous in spite of it. When asked how they believe Romney's practice of Mormonism differs from their own, Mary, the first wife, said, He's in the Mormon LDS faith, and we are in the Mormon fundamentalist faith. Both of the faiths have the same origins, but the Mormon church abandoned the practice of polygamy. Janelle, the second wife, said, We absolutely accept the Old Testament and study it as a religious doctrine. End quote. Well, they really need to get into the New Testament and study it as a doctrine as well. Now, to call the Sister Wives a reality show is a huge oxymoron. This show is a grand expose of propaganda designed to fool people into believing that four women can share one husband and successfully pretend to a supposed happiness. This interview that I just read proves one or both of two things. They aren't honest about their personal lives, and they don't have a clue what the Bible teaches. Cody said, all the cool guys of the Old Testament live polygamy. Well, I challenge Mormon fundamentalists and pro-polygamous Mormons to find one example in the Old Testament where a man lived polygamy the same way that Joseph Smith or present Mormon polygamists live it. Just one example in the Old Testament of a happy, well-adjusted polygamist home and family. Just one passage where polygamy was required by God to suit his plan for eternal life. Just one example, Cody. Just one. Mormon polygamists everywhere, if you're watching, just one example of your kind of polygamy in the Old Testament. Just one example where there was a happy home, a happy wives, well-adjusted children, and a statement where it is required for eternal life. 
Cody said all the cool guys of the Old Testament live polygamy. Really? Does Cody think that God shows favoritism? That polygamy guys are cool and the rest of the guys aren't? Isn't that kind of a slam on God's character? Cody said all the cool guys in the Old Testament had more than one wife. Well, I'm going to name several cool guys in the Old Testament who had only one wife. Men who followed God's command to live monogamy. And we're going to begin with Adam. Adam and Eve, where God established my monogamy by saying the two, only two, shall become one. Next, and this list is not exhaustive, Cody, but some cool Old Testament monogamists were Seth, Jared, Methuselah, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, and his brother Aaron, the high priest, Joshua, Boaz, Job, the prophet Samuel, the prophets Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Micah, and many, many others. And let's not forget the, the most important non-polygamist in the Bible, Jesus Christ. Cody merely proved his biblical illiteracy by making unsubstantiated and unbiblical statements. As they always do, polygamists bring God into it and claim that he is responsible for their polygamy. We wonder why Cody Brown and his wives continue to hide their Mormon face requirement of polygamy for celestial glory. They always dance around that important part of their polygamy, that their God requires it. According to their Joseph Smith-based faith, polygamy or celestial marriage <clears throat> is a requirement for eternal life, and the alternative is destruction. You never see that being said on the Sister Wives program. Brigham Young threatened damnation to those who did not practice celestial marriage or polygamy, and that's why Cody Brown has plural wives, but you never hear Sister Wives show saying what Brigham Young said about that. Nor do they ever mention section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants and how Joseph Smith threatened destruction on Emma if she didn't let him have all of his wives. Let's talk about the story in the Bible right now of Hannah, a plural wife, and uh, is the one who became the mother of the great prophet Samuel. I'm going to quote from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to quote from uh, verses 6 through 8. 1 Samuel 1, 1 and 2 says, There was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Verses 6 through 8, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Hannah's grief was for two reasons. She was unable to have children, and her rival wife caused discord and trouble directed specifically at Hannah. God's plan in marriage is love, not rivalry. 
This rival wife was haughty and rude towards Hannah, which was one of the very first behavioral traits acted out in most polygamist homes even today. Hannah was so upset at her rival's cruel treatment that went on year after year that she cried incessantly and lost her appetite. Hannah was sick. Her husband, to his credit, tried to comfort her despite the rival wife's taunting. This is yet another negative biblical illustration of polygamy. It's ugly, and polygamy is the ruin of family life as God designed it to be. Jesus said in the New Testament that God allowed divorce, but it was not ever His plan. God also allowed polygamy, but that was never His plan. God's plan from the very beginning was monogamy. Read Genesis 2.24 and Matthew 19.4. In Christianity, polygamy was marked specifically for extinction by the command not to allow a man with more than one wife to serve in any church leadership position. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. 1 Timothy 3.12 says, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Titus 1.6 says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife. Now, contrary to what pro-polygamists claim, these verses cannot correctly be interpreted to mean that the man must have at least one wife. The original Greek language does not allow for that translation at all, although I know that all the polygamists say it does, but that is not the case. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 2 says each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The Bible is very, very clear about uh, polygamy. God does not have any problems communicating His will to us, and His will is monogamy. Just as in the story of Hannah, every incidence of polygamy in the Bible is told in the shadow of intense pain and negativity. Polygamy was never commanded or caused by God. Excuse me. I would like to read a letter that I received in the mail from a woman, <clears throat> if I can get this here, from a woman who called on the show in April. And she called on the show and she accused me of being a very evil woman. And then, within a few days, I received a letter in the mail from her and I'd like to read the letter and then respond. She said, I am Mary from West Jordan. I called you on Thursday, April 19th. I want to apologize for calling you evil. I'm sorry I stooped to your level. I don't know how many times you have called Mormon names. I feel sorry for you. You have so much hatred in your soul, if you have a soul. You had so much disdain and hatred um, on your face when you were talking about Jeffrey Holland. I thought that we would see smoke coming out of your ears. What did he ever do to you? If you dislike the Mormons so much, maybe you should go where there aren't any, maybe the North Pole. 
I wish I could ask the man that called from Manti. He complained about the church and the City Creek Project. That was not the church project alone. That was a citywide project. The main purpose was to bring people to downtown Salt Lake. By the way, how much money or help has he contributed to helping people transition from polygamy? How much have you contributed? Your show has nothing to do with helping people transition from polygamy. It is a discredit. It is to discredit the church. I wish you would tell the truth about what your program is for. I really believe you are the devil's advocate. I will no longer listen to your rants. And she signed it, Mary. Well, you know, I found this very interesting because she apologized. She began the letter by apologizing to, to, uh, for, by calling me evil, admitting that it lowers herself to my level. And then she proceeded for the rest of the letter to rip me to shreds, even ripping up to people who called into the show. You know, she asked the question, what has Jeffrey Holland done to me? You know, he has done nothing to me. What has Holland done to this culture? He has lied to you. He has deceived you. He has prevaricated on issues to hide the truth. And you deserve better than that. And Mary, I doubt that if I even went to the North Pole, if I would be able to get away from Mormons, because they're everywhere. And I'm not saying that as a negative. It's a fact. They are all over the world. But it isn't Mormons, nor is it polygamous that we are against. We love them. I have friends who are Mormons. I have friends and family that I love dearly who are in polygamy groups. We love the people but we despise false doctrine. And you know, you can't understand that, and I know you can't, but before you judge us so harshly, will you please do your eternity a favor? And will you do your own deep, analytical, and detailed research for yourself? Then perhaps you'll understand why we do what we do. And now we're halfway through the show. We're going to open up the telephone lines. Our telephone number is 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like to add to our uh, comments or ask a question, uh, please call in. And uh, while we're waiting for the calls to come in, we have a message to share with you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. 
We want you to know that we've made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Well, we welcome you back to our show. We are glad that you stuck through the first part and hope that you stick through the last part. Our telephone lines are open, 801-973-8820-973-TV20. We've been talking about Joseph Smith. Did he pass the qualifications that the Bible gave to be a church leader? And also we discussed part of, of some of the quotes of the Cody Brown uh, TLC sister wife's family, thinking that all the cool guys of the Old Testament lived polygamy when he uh, actually was talking off the top of his hat. He didn't know what he was saying. Uh, it looks like we have an off-the-air question. <clears throat> and that question is, what is the true church? Is there one? <clears throat> you know, Jesus Christ said that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And in Ephesians 3.20, it tells us that he is head of the church forever and forever through all generations. So Jesus' church, he began in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And it continues to build... Um, even up through until today. And in fact, it will until Jesus returns. The true church is actually all of the people who have believed and who do believe in Jesus only for salvation, in the Bible only for doctrine, and in uh, grace only for salvation. So if any, if any people have, have, have um, uh, embraced Jesus Christ alone, for their Savior, for forgiveness, and to be their Savior, trusting Him alone to get them into heaven, believing His word alone for doctrine, then they become part of His church. There is no church building, there is no particular denomination that is the only true church, only true believers make up uh, Christ Church, and they're all over the world through the last 2,000 years. And, and uh, one thing I think this culture also doesn't understand is that 
the, all the Christian denominations are not different religions. They think that it, they, they assume that it is, but it's not. The, the Baptists and, and the Pentecostals and the Nazarenes and, and the Calvary Chapels, they're all part of Christ's church. And there's not one single true church on the planet. There are only believers who make up Jesus' church for the past 2,000 years, and I hope that answers your question. Run away from any church that says we are the only true church. Run, turn and run, because that is a lie. Okay, we have uh, line one, Jill calling from Ogden. Hello, Jill. Yes, hello. Um, you were touching on the Brown family earlier, and if you watch uh, Sister Wives on TL3, um, the initial caption from Cody Brown is, love should be multiplied, not divided. And anyone who watches that show with any ounce of intelligence sees that his love is divided by his four <laughs> wives, and the only thing being multiplied is children that I show having no nurturing. That's I don't understand anyone that can devote their soul to a prophet and a founder of a church who, in my view, is a pedophile. Anyone who has a wife 12 to 14 years of age is nothing but a pedophile. And I don't know why they get so up in arms other than the fact that they know the truth. Well, Jill, it would be interesting to know how much of the truth that they understand or that they even want to know. I think it's a matter of being will willfully blinded. Uh, they don't want to know anything different. They've been taught from the cradle, and I was. I was born in a polygamy group, and I was taught from the cradle that the only way to please God was to live polygamy. And whatever they said was supposed to have come right from the mouth and the heart of God. But everything that I heard was ugly. I hated it. And so when I was old enough, I ran away. But with Cody Brown, uh, I agree with you. His love definitely is divided. It isn't multiplied. He have, might have multiple sex partners, but that's about the size of it, and multiple children. But that is it. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, they don't talk about, like I mentioned on the show very often, uh, they don't talk about their faith and that they are required by their God to live polygamy. And as we did a, a review on the Darger book as well, we talked about this uh, subject where the, the women don't think that they, that the God thinks they deserve their own husband. They think that God wants them to share their husband. But what it actually is that they don't think they deserve their own husband. It isn't God who thinks that, it's they who think that. It's For sad. their own salvation. For their and salvation. now and in <clears throat> eternity. Right. The LDS faith believes that in the celestial kingdom, they will be polygamous wives mm -hmm. and be making, procreating spirit babies. Mm -hmm. Do the women never, ever get to stop? procreating? Nope, that's their purpose for eternity. It's their purpose here and their purpose for eternity. Well, yeah. I just don't understand. I am not, I don't know the Bible backwards and forwards, but 
I do know enough to know that these people are in grave danger. Well, they are eternally, definitely they are in eternal grave danger because they're depending on something else for their salvation other than Jesus Christ. Now, they'll say they depend on Jesus, but they're depending on something besides or including him. And he is exclusive. It's only Jesus. It's all or nothing. It's all Jesus or you don't get Jesus. That's the way it works. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your efforts, and I appreciate your program every Thursday, and keep doing the work that you're doing. Well, thank you very much, Jill. Thanks for calling. Have a nice evening. Mm -hmm. You too. Good night. It's very difficult uh, sometimes for us to understand why some people do something so foreign as, as uh, polygamy seems to be for, for much of our culture. Um, but once you have been in it, when, when, you, when you're raised in something and that's all you know and that's all you've been taught and your life and your eternity is threatened with it, it you're brainwashed. And, and I'd like to say this to any Mormon or any polygamist that is watching tonight. When you're brainwashed, you don't know you're brainwashed. And the only way that you'll ever know that you're brainwashed is when you get out of it and then you can look back and you'd go, whoa, how did I ever believe all that? Then you'll recognize you're brainwashed. But in order to discover if you're brainwashed, you need to be willing to listen to the opposite view, to get into it and to study it and to step back and take a look and just see. And, and if you cry out to God for help in discovering the truth, I know for a fact that he will answer you. Our telephone lines are not full, and we would like to hear from you. So if you want to give us a call, we'd love to hear you. Don't wait until two minutes to the, the hour to call in, because then it'll be too late. Give us a call now, 801-973-8820. While we're waiting for more calls to come in, I'd like to share an email that came in on the 11th of May <clears throat> from someone that we're going to call Mrs. Snow. Now, we don't know her real name, and this is only one of the dozens of argumentative emails from this viewer. And this is what she wrote in this particular email. She said, Doris, just for your information, Joseph is a prophet of God. The Book of Mormon is true. Jesus is the Son of God, not God Almighty, and Orson Pratt was never a prophet. I have noticed that you hang up on people when they don't agree with you. Joseph was never a fraud, nor is the Book of Mormon a fraud. You shouldn't be pushing your views on others. Well, <laughs> I find this kind of funny because Mrs. Snow doesn't realize that this is a two-way street. Why does she get to push her views on us, but we don't get to push our views on others? And I think that she's got an off switch on that TV, too, so she doesn't have to listen to a word we say. Well, we challenged Mrs. Snow to take seriously what God said in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 to test all things. So our challenge is test the Book of Mormon, test Joseph Smith, and that means thorough testing. That means that you obey God and disobey your own leaders by reading material that is not Cloroxed first by the Mormon hierarchy. And then after you've tested everything, present the evidence for the Book of Mormon, bring on the proof, that's all we challenge you to do. Bring on the proof, show us the evidence. That's what God told us to do. 
In several of her emails, Mrs. Snow dogmatically denied that Jesus Christ is God. She said that he is the Son of God. He is not God. Well, Jesus Christ claimed to be God, and Scripture teaches he is God. He claimed to be God, and if he isn't, then he's either a deceiver or a liar, or both. In John chapter 10, verses 31 through 33, I want to read these verses to you. It says, Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to him, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. They were stoning him because they understood his claims to be that he was God. And they tried to kill him several times because of his claims, and eventually, of course, they did. They rejected him and crucified him. In John 10, 38, it says, uh, Jesus is saying, Even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus is saying, he's claiming many times. The Jews understood that when someone that called the Son of God was there, that that would be God in the flesh. That's what the Messiah was going to be, God in the flesh. Well, I've got some scriptures here that might help understand that as well. 1 Timothy 1.1 tells us that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. Well, Jesus is God, and he's the Savior. 1 Timothy 1.12 calls Jesus Christ Lord, and the Lord is God, according to Deuteronomy 4.35 and 39. So, Jesus Christ is Lord, and the Lord is God. 1 Timothy 2.3, God is our Savior. Titus 1.14, Jesus is our Savior. Titus 3.4, God is our Savior. Titus 3.6, Jesus is our Savior. So you can see that this is, it is just back and forth. God and Jesus both is referred to as being our Savior. And 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, so the Bible clearly teaches uh, Mrs. Snow that Jesus is God who is our Savior. Um, I've got a little more to talk about that, but we've got calls to come in, so let's take Heather on line three from Provo. Hello, Heather. Hello, Heather. Hi, Dora. Hello, you're on the air. Hi. I just wanted to tell you that I really love your show, and I think it's really awesome what you're doing and um, <clears throat> that you're exposing all this about, you know, the LDS Church and everything, and I just wanted to say thank you. Well, thank you, Heather. That's nice to hear. I appreciate that. That is helping you. Is that all? I guess she hung up. Okay, well, what more can we say on that? Okay, line two, we have Pauline calling from Magna. Hello, Pauline. Hi, Doris. Hello. Um, I lived in Utah most of my life. I'm a senior citizen, and I have relatives that are Mormon and that, which I get in a lot of trouble for, but <laughs> to me, uh, like you, you talk about Jesus Christ and that, that's your soul and your heart. That's your church. That's, that's what you need to believe in. You don't, you don't go around to all these people that say they're prophets and stuff and believe it. It's in your heart and soul. 
that's God and that's Jesus. That's what's there. That's well, how I feel. Well, and I know that God did not tell these uh, uh, guys to go take these young girls and have sex with them and I just don't believe that. Oh, of course not. God, God is absolutely uh, purity. He demands purity from His people and holiness, and that's far from holiness. So he, I just think what you have in your heart and your soul, and you believe in Jesus and God. That is what well, it's all about. You know, and, Pauline, and you get so much from that if you believe it. Pauline, let me let me explain something. Just just kind of uh, t t tone this down or tune into this just a little bit. A lot of people believe in Jesus. Um, but that doesn't mean it's that, that that's all they need. There has to be an absolute trust in who Jesus Christ is and why he came. Um, you know, even the, the Muslims believe in Jesus, but they aren't Christians. Uh, what, what it means to believe in Jesus when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus and being saved, it means that you hold on to him exclusively for your salvation, that you know you're a sinner and sinners need a savior and he's the savior and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And so you call out to God uh, through Jesus Christ to have mercy on me, a sinner, and ask him to save you, believing that he will do it, and all it takes is him to do it. So it's more... I, that, yeah, that's true. I believe it wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's more than just believing. It's, it's actually doing something about that belief. Romans I do, 10, I do. I do. Every, Romans, every day and every night. Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means that he's God and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's calling upon him in true faith, and we hope our viewers uh, will do that tonight. I appreciate your show. My daughter called me and got me started on this a couple months ago, and good. I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Great. Thank you. Appreciate your call. I appreciate your show. Good night. Okay. That is line one, Scott calling. Hello, Scott. Hi, Doris. Uh, enjoying your show. Um, as far as uh, Mrs. Snow, um, you know, we're so saturated with this uh, culture. Uh, we've got it in the government. We've got it every time we turn around. Your little show is, is one show, and we have freedom of speech in this country. I mean, uh, it's hardly even equal for, for what, they, what they're putting out, out there. That's and right. I really enjoy your show. And they've been doing this um, for 150 years, and they've had the exclusive voice for that long. It's time someone else's voice got to be heard. Yeah, one program. I, I think they can handle that. <laughs> and like you said, well, they've got an off switch. Um, yeah. <laughs> as for myself, um, I just could never buy into I've been born and raised here, lived here all my life. I just never could buy into it. Just something in me just told me. That it just wasn't right. Uh, even though my great, uh, I think it's five generations, actually came across the plains from Wales. But I just, uh, you know, I put up with it my whole life since I stopped going to church. I had one. I have. I've had a guy tell me when I had longer hair that I ought to leave if I if I can't leave, uh, live like the majority of people here. I ought to move somewhere else. Oh yeah, we got to conform, just don't things we? Things like that. There's a lot of really good Mormon people. I don't want to uh, slam all of them, but there's. It's just kind of overwhelming, and, and you know, I think this uh, pre-existence, uh, their belief that they've got to have so many children to bring all these souls that are waiting down here is causing a lot of overcrowding that, I mean, it's almost they're compelled to keep having all these kids. Well, and it's not... 
good for a quality of life. I, so, I mean, I love kids, but, you know. Well, you know, I mean, it's, I mean? it's a personal, certainly personal, what, uh, how large your family is, but we do know that, that, especially in the past, some of the past prophets have demanded large families from the Mormon, and uh, the polygamists definitely have huge families. And, you know, the way they're mushrooming, it, they could easily take over the state because uh, if the rest of the population, their, their family population is decreasing and the polygamists are mushrooming, uh, what else can happen? I know some polygamous family that has over hundreds of kids just from one man. I know that. And yes, and the mainline church wants to have a lot of kids too because it just makes their... Uh, enrollment larger, that's, collect more tithing. That, that's, anyway, that's right. That's all I've got. Thank you, Doris. Uh huh. Thank you, Scott. Okay, line three. Dana or Dana calling from Orem. Hello, Dana. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, I just had something interesting uh, that I had heard on the Glenn Beck show last week in the morning. I hear show sometimes when I get up, and he was defending Romney and Mormonism, and he was defending polygamy. And he said the reason why they had polygamy was because um, the Mormon men were on the side of the east, uh, I'm sorry, side of the north, and were defenders of slavery, and so they were being lynched, and that's why there are more women than men, and that's why they had to practice polygamy. You know, and he's a convert, and he didn't mention the Book of Mormon or Joseph Smith, oh and that goodness. was commanded by God or anything. They turned... Um, he's turned polygamy into a social experiment, sort of, like uh, uh, to defend it. But they don't ever say why they really did practice it. And I just thought that was really funny that as a convert, he obviously doesn't know anything about Mormon Church and polygamy and how it came well, about. If, if he's going <laughs> to, he needs to do some research, and I'm not sure he hasn't. And he just doesn't. I want had never to heard that out. one yet in, in defense of polygamy. That. <clears throat> Mormon men were actually being lynched and killed. I hadn't heard that either, Dan. And I, I thank that you. That was a new one. I want to thank you for calling and giving me that information because we're going to be doing a show soon on uh, where we're going to bring in the myths of early Mormon polygamy, and that I've never heard before. I'm going to put yeah, that I mean, in I've, the list. I was born and raised in Utah County and fifth generation Mormon, and that is one I've not heard to defend polygamy. I've I never had heard not. that. I had that not. one yet. So that that was not. new. But I yeah. think that's also um, a way that they have of defending the racism, too. So uh -huh. they can kill two birds with one stone by proving that they're not racist by being lynched. Um, and then a reason why they practice polygamy. That's why I think the reason <laughs> behind that is. And they're starting to spread this rumor or this myth about why they practice polygamy. Well, there's a lot of myths that they've come up with for the reason for polygamy, and uh, some of them are very outlandish, and this, this is one. <laughs> Definitely is one. Thank you, Dana. Okay, well, it's been an interesting phone call for that one. I hadn't heard that before. If anybody else has, perhaps you would like to call in sometime or email and let us know. In my closing comments, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 15 tells us that we are to study to show ourselves approved of by God, a workman who is not to be ashamed, who can correctly divide the word of truth. We are to study, God tells us. We are to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And if we don't, we will be ashamed and disapproved of by God. Now, when this was written, there was no Book of Mormon, there was no Joseph Smith, there was no lost gospel or restored 
Lord gospel, there was no doctrine of polygamy for eternal life, but there was promises that God would keep his word and his church intact forever and forever. So studying in order to be approved means that we must study the Bible. Nothing else is approved by God for spiritual truths. Study, it says. Look at every side of every doctrine. Study all the opposing views of the issues. Get out your Bible. Ask God to show you the truth. Start with the Gospel of John, where Jesus said in John 17, Thy word is truth. Tell God you want the truth no matter what it is. Adopting the attitude that you already have the truth so you don't need to study is actually very rude, a very rude response and disobedient to God's command. He said to study. It's your eternity. It's you who will have to face God someday. It's you who will have to answer to Jesus and explain why you trusted a church for truth more than you trusted him. It's you who will have to answer why you trusted celestial marriage more than you trusted him or why you trusted your works rather than his work on the cross. Jesus said, study. He said, ask, seek, knock, and you will find. He promised. That means you must search and study yourself and yourself out of the church and into truth. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.